Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We count it an absolute honor and a privilege to have your company with us as we continue our exploration of a brand new series that we titled Take Off. Take Off. Essentially, this series is about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're a Christian for a long time or a new Christian or exploring Christianity, you need to know that one of the most critical theological foundation of the Christian faith is our view of God as a triunity. In a, as I was growing up in Egypt, I had a lot of friends who were non-Christians. And we had such a fantastic relationship at school. We, we connected together playing soccer and, uh, uh, and, and, and we would joke around. I didn't really have a, a genuine relationship with God. I was just a church goer. I participated in Christian activities in the church and I tried uh, you know, to enjoy myself as much as I can without anybody finding out, particularly my parents, finding out about my rebellion. But I lived such an unchristian life that you couldn't possibly differentiate me uh, from my non-Christian friends who had a completely different religion with opposing views on Christianity. But they loved me so much and I enjoyed the company so much that there no one uh, that didn't know our names could differentiate who's Christian and who's not. And, uh, and as we grew up, uh, there was a sense of, of real genuine connection and unity. We never spoke about God or we never spoke about Christianity or their religion. We never really dealt with anything other than all wicked thoughts, uh, jokes, uh, stories, how we can you know, manipulate our environments at school to do what we want to do without getting in trouble. And, uh, and it was a, a really wicked lifestyle. Uh, eventually, as I grew up around the age of 15 or so, I got captured by some of the hardship and some of the difficulties that my family members experienced as a result of their love for God, their ministry to the church environment, and my father's uh, literature that he had written defending the Christian faith and the accusation that other religions say about Christians worshiping three gods. And I was intrigued by a little booklet that my father wrote about God is one in the Holy Trinity. And as I was reading it, and I was beginning to think about my experience in the school with my non-Christian friends, I thought, you know, why make life hard, God? Like, it's hard as it is to try to be a Christian person in a, in a minority environment where the majority are anti-Christians. Why give us this Trinity stuff that makes my friends, you know, think of us as infidels, uh, as, as, as people who believe in three gods? Like you're making our life difficult. Why can't it be simple? We believe in God. 
like they believe in God. Their God and our God is one. Let's let, just celebrate and have dinner together. And it was uh, so difficult for me to understand this whole concept of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I couldn't understand its reality. I couldn't understand its meaningfulness because I wasn't walking with God. I was just beginning to cognitively uh, uh, explore the doctrines of Christianity and the difficulty of having to leave that doctrine in our type of environment back then in Egypt. But for you and I who want to live a life that resembles the character of Jesus in the world. Because how many of us know that the goal of Christianity is not heaven bound, but Christ likeness on earth. God doesn't want you to be saved and He put you in a box, in a cabinet, where everybody looks at you and say, oh yeah, He's saved, yeah, yeah, He's great, He knows you. And then God preserves you to do nothing, be nothing, until the day He comes and takes you to heaven. If that's what Christianity is all about, then every time somebody made a confession to receive Jesus, then God would shoot them and, you know, zap them and take them to heaven right away. Because what's the point of staying behind if the whole goal and purpose is to go to heaven? But we have had a supernatural capacity capacity by the indwelling Holy Spirit to live like Jesus on earth, not to wait idly until Christ returns. So, as we said, there is two different ways of living the Christian life. We can live in the realm of the flesh. That means we live in our own abilities with our own motivations and self-will and all of that. Or we could live with the empowerment of the Spirit. And we'll put it in that the premise and the promise of of this series is that you can fly with God. You can live with supernatural capabilities and it's not going to give you any credit because you never fly from one country to another on a plane and then you say, oh, I did such a good job to come here. You understand that you were lifted up by other people's genius capabilities, not your own. So we said living by the flesh as compared to living by the Spirit, is like walking on a plane as compared to flying by a plane. It's a different realm. It's an extraordinary realm. You live in such a way that if you walk, you will collapse. If you fly, man, you can even sleep while the plane is traveling with the speed that you couldn't even understand or comprehend if you were still on earth. You see, we desire for every single lover of God, every single person is exploring spiritual realities to embrace the Spirit of God to enable us to live in a new realm, the Spirit realm. So we finished off last episode by saying, so how can I relate to this Holy Spirit? How can I encounter Him? How can I have a relationship with Him? Well, there are three primary ways in which we relate to the Holy Spirit. Number one is that we accept His indwelling. So we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
Number two is we become filled with the Holy Spirit. And number three is that we overflow by the Holy Spirit. And today we will look at the first one being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in the next few uh, episodes, we'll look at the implications of the other two aspects of that relationship. So being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The scripture in the Old and the New Testament uh, helps us understand that the Spirit of God indwells people. In fact, in the New Testament, in the writing of the Apostle Paul, we realize that he symbolizes believers as if they are the temple of God. That means they are containers that are given the presence of God to abide on the inside of them like the temple hosted the presence of God to God's people. So he says this, do you not know? That means, are you ignorant about this? That your bodies, that means who you are, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Fact, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, which is the price of the death of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, Paul makes a very clear statements. Number one is that the Holy Spirit is inside of the believers. Number two is this is a result of the sacrificial death of Jesus, which is the prize that enabled us to be united with God that our sins have been punished in Jesus. Now we are scot-free, justified, declared right because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And as a result, the Spirit of God can indwell us. But you know what he also says? That this indwelling, this abiding, this union with the person of the Trinity on the inside of us actually has an implication over our life. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies, the way you live, the way you behave, the way you interact, the way you make decisions. Honor God because you belong to Him and He is on the inside of you. And therefore, we want to understand the logic behind the most profound blessing, which is known as the gift of the Holy Spirit. This indwelling in the New Testament is basically a permanent abiding of the Spirit of God in the life of Jesus' followers. This is completely new in the New Covenant. This is completely different from what used to happen with the believers in the Old Testament. So you see in John chapter 7 verses 38 and 39, Jesus explains a reality that differentiates the Old and the New Covenant. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit whom those who believed in Jesus 
were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus has not, had not yet been glorified. That means the Spirit of God was not given to abide permanently into people because Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. By glorified means He was not crucified, resurrected uh, yet. He wasn't glorified uh, by His substitutionary death and sacrifice on behalf of His people. So theologically speaking, we say that before the Pentecost, that is before 50 days from the resurrection, where the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the Spirit that is in the Old Testament and before then came temporarily upon God's people to empower them for a task. You know, we read throughout the Old Testament that the Spirit of God would come upon specific leaders such as Joshua. We hear about Joshua being endowed with the task of leadership by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, just as David, who was given the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a king, to lead God's people. And so many other prophets whom God spoke through them, indwelt them to speak through them. And in fact... You read in the Old Testament about a guy who was an artist, who was uh, endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit by God in order to have artistic creative ability to use those capabilities in the construction of the tabernacle and also to teach others. It's so funny, we think of the Holy Spirit endowment and the Holy Spirit indwelling in such abstract ways. But here we realize in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come over people for leadership, for wisdom, for prophetic utterance, for artistic capabilities, to be able to teach people skills. It's absolutely so critical that God is not just a God who wants to impact the worshippers' life in the temple, but impact people's life in the kitchen, in the home, in the car, in their interactions at work. And here the Spirit of God indwells people so He can manifest the life and the capabilities and the characteristics of Jesus. But before Pentecost, it was a temporary abiding. But after the Pentecost, for those genuine believers, the Spirit is given to abide there for good. Look at Acts chapter 2. On the day of the Pentecost, we, uh, uh, we are uh, uh, able to read an, an, uh, an abstract of the sermon of Peter uh, that he uttered to attract people to Jesus. And at the end of that, it says when people heard this sermon, they were cut to the heart. That means they were convicted and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Like we now understand Jesus. We now understand the reality of being separated from God and we understand the importance of what Jesus has done by His sinless life, by His substitutionary death, by His evidential uh, resurrection. So what do we do? And here Peter replied, Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And look at that. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, that's you and me, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Listen, the Christian experience is now being packaged, is now being manipulated, is now being offered to people cheaply. It's like you listen to an emotional message, you watch a band, good-looking band on a stage, you see a dynamic drama or somebody dancing to a, a rhythmic tune, and then you, are, you play you know, the violin on your heart strings, and all of a sudden you're invited up the front. And why do you come up the front? So that you receive purpose and meaning and prosperity, and God is going to look after you, and everything is going to be all right. But just come, just come, just come and everything will change. We are giving the gift without actually the premise, the prerequisites for that gift to be received. Life indeed is better with Jesus. He has promised us abundant life. Life indeed is transformative by the blood of Jesus. Life indeed is different by the enabling of the, of the Spirit. But life with Jesus does not start with hocus pocus promises that have no prerequisites. Look at what Peter said, friends, and I'm fired up about this because we are promised people the world but we're patting them all the way to destruction because we are not sharing the truth of the gospel that Christian experience does not start by somebody wanting selfish things and want to live life just in the same way I heard people say if somebody who is completely uh, living a, a separate wicked life, say in prostitution away from God, and just because they lifted the hand or signed the paperwork, if they continue in their wicked ways, they're still saved. That is nonsense. That is unbiblical. That's false teaching. Look at what Peter says. He says, repent. That means make a U-turn. That means change your mind, which is metanoia, that results in a change of behavior and lifestyle. Repent. Acknowledge that this life away from God cannot be continued in. It says that produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. Friends, repentance is not putting the hand up. It's not pulling together on hard strings. It's not about coming up with a fun story about your conversion. It's about a metanoia. It's about a turning away from a life of sin. I don't mean sinlessness, but I mean turning away and say with every fiber of my being, I want to follow Jesus, I may fail, the Lord will raise me up again. I might collapse and the Lord will be a light to me. But my attitude, my lifestyle desires not to abide in darkness anymore. And says be baptized, that means drown your old identity. 
and rise in the newness of life as a united person with Christ. And he says you're going to receive forgiveness of sin. But not only that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to live a holy life. That's the reception of the Holy Spirit when we repent when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord and we are baptized in His name, that means we have a new identity that is based on our union with Him. And now we are giving a brand new nature, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Salvation is not a transaction. Where you give God your sin and He gives you forgiveness. It's a transformation. Where you give God your old identity, your empty life, and He gives you a brand new life that resembles the character and capacity of Jesus. So what happens when the Spirit indwells the believers? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, which is like the primary chapter on the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, which is indeed He is, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life. That's regeneration. Because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living within you. That means the resurrection power of Jesus lives on the inside of us. We are oblivious to the energy, to the dynamite power, to the absolute value of having the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. To be alive in us, our wickedness, our sinfulness, our Total deprivation cannot withstand the power of the Spirit of God who transforms us, who makes us spirit-endowed people. He also gives life to you. And in that very chapter, I want to mention three quick things that those who are indwelt by the Spirit experience right here and right now, though gradually but absolutely Certainly. The first thing appears in Romans 8, uh, verses 1 and 2. The scripture says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How awesome is that? When you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You are declared righteous. You have a position of right standing with God that is not dependent on you. That's because of the blood of Jesus. I am secure. I am loved. I'm adored. I am dearly loved. I am sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit as a pledge of my inheritance. I am guaranteed a life with Jesus forever because of the blood of the sacrificial lamb of God. And then it says, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life because He indwells us, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
The first thing those people who are endowed by the Holy Spirit, who accept and receive the Holy Spirit, they need to know that God ushered them into a pathway of divine liberty. It doesn't happen in one twinkle of an eye, but it, you have been set on a runway of being liberated from the dominion of sin. That means you do not you are not obligated to obey sin. You have freedom to be able to say no to sin. It says that grace teaches us to say no to unrighteousness. You have capabilities that you didn't think you have. You have the ability to stand and resist the enemy because you have been liberated. You have been set free from the gravity of sin, from the pull of sin, which we couldn't naturally be able to resist. But you're now on a different plane level. You're in a different realm. The gravity can't pull you down. And it's not because of you, but because of the law of the Spirit, like the law of buoyancy, or like what happens in the, in the, in the era mechanical technicalities to get you flying. Hallelujah. The second thing we read about divine love for those who are indwelt by the Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit, Romans 8.14 tells us, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, regenerate people. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and that's like an adult standing in the family of God so that you can have your inheritance. It's not adopted like a kid who doesn't have anything. No, you are brought in as an adult a standing child that can access their inheritance. Unlike in the old times where a child was unable to use their inheritance until they reach adulthood. It also known in, the, in those old times that an adopted son was dearer than a, a normal natural son. In fact, you could never disown your adopted son. They have labored to get that son into the family. And you know what the Spirit does? Doesn't just get us to feel like we belong we are part of the family and we're loved and we're adored and God actually spent to get us, to adopt us. But it says that He enabled us to cry, Abba, Father. The freaky thing is this word means dear daddy or papa. What is more freaky is in the Gospel of Mark, this is the terminology that Jesus used in His intimate communication with the Father. That you and I, because the Spirit indwells us, are able to address God the same way Jesus addressed God. Doesn't that freak you out? You have the capacity to adore and love God despite of your flaws and your weakness and your hardship and your, you know, your sins and mess. You can address Him like the Holy One addresses the Father.
the third and final thing, the Spirit who indwells us gives us divine leverage. And we mentioned this briefly in our last time. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us through worldless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Last time I explained to you that the Spirit in our weakness, He intercedes for us. He has our back. He strengthens us. He upholds us. He prays when we don't know what to pray. But do you notice what He prays for? This is the bit we didn't address last time. He intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Like He wants us to live out God's will and therefore He's supporting us supernaturally. And what is God's will, friends? How does He strengthen us to live that? He says the will of God. The will of God or the purposes of God that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. Therefore, I want to comfort you that the Spirit uses divine leverage to strengthen you so you can live conformed to the image of Jesus. He strengthens you when you're weak so that you eventually get conformed to the image of Jesus. So you can love like Jesus loves. So you can live with integrity like Jesus did. So you can love other people despite of your differences. So you can impact the world by the power of the Spirit as Jesus did. You would live the image that you were created, created to bear because the Spirit leverages His supernatural capacity so that you could live your God-given destiny. And therefore, if this is what the Spirit does, divine liberty, divine love, and divine leverage, wouldn't you ask Him to come into your life? Would you repent of your separation from God? Would you ask Jesus to give you a new identity that is based on receiving Him as your Savior and Lord? And would you beg Him for the gift of the Holy Spirit? He says that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. All you need to do is ask. All I need to do is ask. As messed up as we are, we have the opportunity because of Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit as we turn from our evil ways as we put our sight on Jesus and the cross we now have a new identity and a new empowerment and a new gift to live like Jesus lived on earth I invite you in the comfort of your own home to ask oh Holy Spirit of God 
come and transform me right here and right now. I repent of my sin. I confess Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I no longer want to live apart from God. I cannot do it on my own. So come and inhabit me. Come and abide within me. Come and give me to live in liberty, in divine love. And allow your abilities to enable me to live like Jesus in the world. That is our prayer for you. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for being with us. And we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, God bless you.